Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insight into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Just wave to me and smile. Let me just connect. I have this beautiful light in my face, so it takes a few moments to see every one of you. Uh, it is a great honor to be back again, and for me, this is family, and probably for the next 40 minutes, I just wanted to share some of my heart, and yes, I will use those chairs that Jake mentioned, that there's a new message, uh, but the chair message is just a framework for us to be able to understand. It is a kingdom template so that we can actually capture what God is doing so we don't get distracted by what the enemy is doing. And because there's a lot of people right now in this season that that we're getting so overwhelmed by what the enemy is doing because we don't see what God is doing. And part of what I want us to do is to get the proper perspective that we will see things from heaven's perspective. Uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, when he was looking around the circumstances and on Isaiah 5, it was like, what was them? What was them? What was them? Until eventually there was a crisis situation. Uzziah, who he related to and who he was in relationship with, when Uzziah died, who was a king that he trusted, the one that he voted for. When that system was gone, he had a crisis moment, and that Bible says, that, and it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw him, and I saw him high and lifted up, seated on the throne. He had forgotten about who is sitting on the throne and who is ruling and reigning until there was a crisis moment that was taking place. And then the train of the robe filled his temple, and we know the whole story that was taking place. But then God had to do something with him before it was like, what was them? the ones that is out there, we can put anybody on that label, but now it is woe is me. I am a man with unclean lips. Now I'm identifying with my own issue, and then I live among the people. Now I'm identifying with those people. It's not us against them any longer. And the they say, seraphim touched his lips with a fire, and it was both a cleansing, but also to set him on fire so that he can burn brightly without burning out. And then the ears open up, and he listened to a conversation in heaven. Who can I send, and who will go for us? Who will represent the family of heaven here on earth? So it was a conversation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not God speaking to him just I believe we need to listen to the Father's voice. But here's actually now, when the lips are on fire, his ears open up and he listens in on the conversation of heaven. And he makes himself available to be part of the solution of what's going on in heaven. Who am I going to send? And who will go for us? Say us. Father, Son, Spirit. Who will represent the family? And Isaiah stepped in and says, here am I, send me. He makes himself available. And I, I was just, I'm just going to kind of warm up my voice a little bit. Is that okay? <laughs> and another story I was just reminded about uh, yesterday at Bridgeway, Paul Yado, he was sharing about the story about Jacob and how Jacob became Israel. Because what Jacob desired, and we know the whole story, because part of the conflict that we heard in the prayer that's going on is this very prayer. There was, it is, you have the Isaac and you have Ishmael, but you also have the Jacob and Esau equation. And Esau actually married into Ishmael's family because he felt that he took my birthright and he took my blessing. 
And as a result of that, he was at rage, and he was coming to kill him. And Jacob went through all of these wrestling matches, and he fought well, and he wrestled well, and, and because he was a wrestler. And I feel there's a lot of wrestling going on with a lot of us, and there's the inner wrestling match that is going on. And then there is a wrestling with one another and wrestling with all these different systems. But there was this day when he started to wrestle. I mean, by the way, one of the part of the story was there was one moment he was so tired, but he had one root fear in his life. And it's interesting. He had already now, and he actually didn't steal the birthright. He negotiated for the birthright. But it was two things that Jacob wanted more than anything else in his life. I just want the birthright. And then I want my father's blessing. That was the two things he longed for more than anything else. And I believe it is the longing for every person out there is to be experienced. And we know that Jesus is a big brother. I mean, he gave us his birthright. And he gave us the Father's blessing. And there's a lot of people that don't have the Father's blessing. So they're living like orphans out there. And orphans, they compete with one another. Orphans, they will fight. Orphans, they will just like there is one pizza and eight slices. And I only got one slice. And and they are fighting, and, and, and so part of the whole root issue, the whole, I believe the whole root issue of Islam is that first, God cannot be a father, and he cannot have a son. And that was in a moment when Ishmael was rejected, and Ishmael is out there. But I want us to know that as Ishmael is out in the wilderness, in the dry land, and it also represents the 1.8 billion Muslims, both on the Sunnah and Shia side. But then there was a woman, Hagar, that came with water in the wilderness. And there's going to be another woman, the church, that is going to come and recognize the cry of Ishmael. And that cry is a fatherless cry. It is the cry of an orphan. It's the cry of an orphan spirit that wants to come home, that wants a father. And to make the story short, both Isaac and Ishmael was there for the father's funeral, for Abram's funeral. Later on, I saw in the end of Genesis 35, you will find that Jacob and Israel, after this moment when eventually Jacob, he was so tired, he put his head on a rock. And when he put his head on a rock to sleep, at that moment, heaven opened up. And I think this is a beautiful picture. When we start to rest on the rock, there is an open heaven over us. And when that was taking place, but still he could only have visitation, say visitation. And there's a lot of people that have visitation because they don't know how to have habitation. So despite of the birthright and the blessing, there was still something missing. He still had an orphan heart. He still had an orphan spirit. He's been going after the birthright and the blessing, and now he had both of those. But what is still missing in his heart? He is still a Jacob. He has still not yet become an Israel. So until you discover your identity, out of your identity, everything flows. And there's an identity theft taking place in the kingdom. There's an identity theft the enemy is doing, and that is just to take the label of you so you don't see you the way that Papa God sees you. And at that moment, that if you have love deficiency in your life, you will have God deficiency because God is love. 1 John 4, 16. But here's the story that I love about that. We know he started that wrestling match, and... Eventually, he met this angel of Yahweh, and he starts to wrestle, and he is very strong, and he wrestled all night until the sun came up. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Excuse me, Jacob, but you already have the blessing. You already have the birthright. Why are you still wrestling? I'm not going to let go of you. And he is very strong. He can wrestle all night, and then eventually we know the story. I'm just putting this into perspective, and then eventually he... 
The Bible says he wrestled with God and he prevailed. Or he wrestled with God and he won. How do you wrestle with God and prevail and win? You get pinned. When you can no longer, you can no longer have any more strength. And he touched the hip socket, the greatest strength in his life. And at that moment, from that moment, wow, he could not run any longer, but he could walk. And God is looking for people that can walk with him. But I believe that the, this is a John Wimber statement. He said, God doesn't trust anyone that doesn't walk with a limb. And I believe that there is something about this. There's a place when we are still operating in our own strength. And there's a place until God touches the biggest strength in our life and touching it. That was the hip socket for him. When he comes up from that very place, and we know in this verse, what is your name? I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. I, this is who I am. And he said, you're no longer going to be Jacob. You're going to be Israel. You're going to be my prince. And you are a royal prince. You're a royal princess. But until you see you the way that he sees you, until you love you the way that he loves you, then there's going to continue to be a wrestling match. And you're going to wrestle with yourself in your family. You're going to wrestle in community, wrestle against different political parties. But after this moment on, something took place. He was transformed. And transformed people bring transformation to people. Free people sets people free. And something happened with him when he came up from this encounter, say encounter. And he came up from there and he was an Israel. He got a new label on him. And then here, here's what I want to say. What was his root fear right before? The fear is that his brother Esau, who is married into Ishmael's family, is coming with vengeance and he is coming to kill me. And the biggest fear is he is about to come. But now there is something different about him. There is no more fear because perfect love because he had seen the face of God in Peniel, and when he saw the face of God, he got to see who he was. And then something had changed in his nature. I am no longer Jacob. I don't have to wrestle anymore. There's no more fear. And this army of Esau that has now vengeance, that's the first terrorist group. So you have to separate also the difference between Ishmael and Esau. So Ishmael is about 93% of the Muslims that are nice and good and primary peaceful people. But the tendency is that we are suddenly in the next moment, we're treating Ishmael, not from the way that the father sees Ishmael. Ishmael was the first one that was named by name, and it means God hears. And God is hearing the cry of Ishmael in the wilderness. And over 1.8 billion Muslims is going to know how good Papa God is and how loved they are. I want us to capture it because this is what's going to cause jealousy among the Jews when the fullness of Gentiles comes in. That's the Scriptures according to the book of Romans. So the biggest thing that I've dedicated my life, and I love Israel, and I love my family in Israel, but I tell a lot of my friends that they spend a whole life in Israel and ministering there, a lot of Jewish rabbi friends, but I've told them the best thing I can do for Israel is to love on the Palestinian, is to be able to love on the Arabs, is to love on all the beautiful Muslims. That's the best gift I can give Israel. And it is also what's going to cause jealousy among the Jews when they see that they're getting that blessing. And they're being blessed by the Father's blessing. But here's was the scripture verse that hit me before the service. And I'm going to slow down. I'm just sensing an excitement. But here it is. When he came up from this and his brother comes, now the next thing he does, he goes down to the ground. 
The brother is just coming to kill him before he would run or divide his family, always coming up with something. And now there's something different. He just go down and he bow down seven times before his brother, totally at rest. Because when you are at rest, the Holy Spirit finds a resting place. And he looks at his brother and he's just coming in. Seven times he's bowed down and just humble himself instead of fighting or I'm right and you are wrong and you. I didn't steal the birthright. I negotiated. It's your fault. You wanted that stew so much that you didn't even care about the Father's blessing or the birthright. So anyway, so this whole thing that is going on on the inside, but here's the scripture verse that captured me. It is in Genesis 33. But it hit me on one of my trips to the Middle East, but it hit me this morning when we were praying and talking about that. He said that when I saw you, I have seen the face of God. Just read it. So what Jacob, who now has become Israel, when he's seeing the terrorists that hated him, that wanted to kill him, but he saw, when I saw you, when I saw you, have seen the face of God. Can you see the face of God in the terrorist? When you see the terrorist Saul, can you see the Apostle Paul? And not three people just based upon their history, but their destiny. And the last verse in Genesis 35, Esau and Jacob are together in unity. Burying the father Isaac. Why am I saying it? Because the very ministry of reconciliation. From us as believers, I do know government needs to come with a sword. But we as believers, we come in with redemption. And that's what the church's assignment is in this. So anyway, are you guys okay if I just give you a little framework with the three chairs? Are you guys okay? Can we handle that? I still have a little bit of time before I go to the airport. Pretty much what I want us to do just for a family, because the Rock family here, you're very, very significant in what God is doing in the kingdom. Some of your tears is producing rain right now in the Middle East. And you need also to see what quantum worship is doing. Because some of the worship, there's environments that you're creating here that is creating environment changes. And the one you're beholding is the one you're becoming. And I'm sensing this is so significant. Even there's few people here. But I feel it is important that we get the proper framework, even in regard to a lot of things that we are doing. So I'm putting the best way I can do this to put these three chairs. That is just providing you with a healthy framework. And there's two key words. If you're going to understand scriptures, one of those words is covenant. Say covenant. And the other word is kingdom. Say kingdom. If you're putting an oversimplified, because there's an eternal covenant, and there are many different covenants since, including we are in a new covenant. And then there's the word kingdom. But if I oversimplify that this morning, covenant is all about family. Say family. In the beginning, Father, Son, Spirit. In the beginning, there is a family. And the kingdom is the mission of that family. It is the assignment. So the covenant is all about the alignment, the oneness that you have with him. But now the responsibility, the kingdom, the rule and the reign of the king and how that flows out of that. So you have a family. It's not family or mission. It is not family and mission, but it is a family on mission. Uh, so there is a kingdom alignment taking place for the kingdom assignment. But God wants us to be in an alignment before we start the assignment. And the things that is out, he is putting back in place. So some of the shaking that's going on is connected. So part of what I want us to do is just kind of get us a little. If I had a time, I would have taken you from a little journey, 12-hour journey from eternity past to eternity future. 
Wouldn't that be fun to travel? Then let's go all the way back in the beginning. And I will start with that. Scripture verses in Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Say, in the beginning, God. The important thing, that's Genesis 1.1. So it begins with God and it ends with God. So everything begins with God. But the word God is the word Elohim. In the beginning, there is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And if I took all of you back again and you met the very family in heaven, if you met the Father and you met the Son and you met the Holy Spirit, and I ask you the question, who is the most important? Is it the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. If you ask the Father, He points to the Son. If you ask the Son, He points to the Spirit. If you ask the Spirit, He points to the Son. If you ask the Son, He points to the Father. They are one. Honor is what love looks like. The culture in heaven is a culture of honor where everybody honor one another. And you see this with the Father. The Father points to the Son. The Son goes back again and says, oh, all I do is what I see my Father do. All I say is what I hear my Father say. It is this interdependence between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father loves the Son. Say, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. Say, the Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Son. The Son loves the Father, and they are one. But here is one of the keys, and I could put this through about 140 Scripture verses. But the Son loved the Son the way the Father loved the Son. Jesus loved Jesus the way the Father loved Jesus. That's covenant. That's atonement. They're totally one. You will never see Jesus. Why are you the Father and I'm just the Son? But we have that in church. Why is he the senior pastor? You'd pastor. Why did this person get to sing and not me? I don't know if you're getting it. But even if I'm taking you back into it, why is this important this morning for us? Because we need blueprints. And we need to get the original blueprint of what God intended from the beginning. And if not, we will just have a gospel where we are trying to create our own blueprints. If we do not get to see the family pattern and the operating system of what we are singing, our Father, or on earth as it is in heaven, but what is the model of heaven and what does that look like here on earth in practicality, including in our homes? In our businesses and all of this. So if we don't have a proper blueprint, we are actually not able to get the very kingdom template, meaning the right perspective, how the king sees everything else. And so this is part of what I'm doing here. So anyway, a couple of small things, and then I'm going to get into the chairs. So here we have, say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Say, Family. And they had this brilliant idea. Let us. It didn't say, let me, God. It said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. Among this incredible universe, let's create a little place called earth. And among that place, let's create a little garden, a little micro. And let's then make sons and daughters that love like we do. And let them be fruitful and multiply so they can get dominion. It didn't say do fruitful. It says be He blesses them to be fruitful, full of fruit. Then multiply what you become. And then what you become now, you can get dominion. You get to rule and reign together with Him. So this is the pattern that we see. I'm just putting a framework together for a few moments. But here is the situation. 
if we had the time, we're looking at every single one of the days of the creation. It is good, it is good, it is good. And you're coming to the sixth day. And the second part of that, it is very good. And now God does something. He goes into the dust of the ground and He does something. He he breathes into the nostril, the ruach that you prayed. And He was breathing in, and I believe... The first Hebrew word for father is hub, hub, A-W-B. It comes a little bit later, but I believe that God breathes that Adam, Papa. What do you believe is the first thing Adam ever see? The face of God, the face of a loving father. What is the first voice that Adam ever hear? It's the voice of a loving father. What is the first feeling because he is made right there? He is right there with God. What is the first feeling you have? It is the very presence of God. And then he is placed right there in the pleasure of God. Say, seeing his face, hearing his voice, feeling his love, experiencing his presence. And the word Eden means delight and pleasure, abiding in the delight and the pleasure of Papa God. Eden means delight and pleasure. Why is this important? Because it is a whole prototype for Jesus, and when we're going to see disciple multiplication, it comes from this blueprint. Before Jesus did anything, he was baptized in water, then heaven opened up, the dove came down, and then eventually the Father came in with his affirmation. He was baptized in love. He was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he was immersed or baptized in love. This is my beloved son, and you are his beloved daughter, whom he loved and whom he is well pleased before you do anything. I don't know if you're getting it, but hopefully it's going to get, but I feel there's a prototype I'm after today as a papa because there's something that is so excited in the middle of all the chaos because I'm seeing what God is doing and what God is up to. And he's inviting us to be part of it, to be able to see his face, to hear his voice, to feel his love, to experience his presence. Whatever overwhelms you will shape you. Let me say that one more time. Whatever overwhelms you will shape you. And in chair two that we're getting to, getting so overwhelmed by what's happening in the world, so overwhelmed by the circumstances, that starts to shape you. You get so overwhelmed by that fear, fear for the future, what's going to happen, and we get so overwhelmed. But here you're getting so overwhelmed with the Father. You're getting so overwhelmed with the Son, so overwhelmed by the Spirit that the family of heaven starts to shape you. And the one you're beholding is the one you're becoming. And what you become is what you start to release. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Could I say that one more time? We do teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. But I want us also to take a little bit more trip in heaven before. But anyway, but Adam, God put Adam asleep. And I know in some of our services, I came from an evangelical background. I see people on the floor and... And somebody asked me, why do you think that people are on the floor? I said, because they are not standing or sitting. <laughs> but they wanted to go a little bit deeper. I said, well, when I had my surgery, my shoulder surgery, the anesthesiologist, he gave me a shot so that I could rest because when I was resting, the surgeon was working. It's called the hard work of rest. And we're going to learn that rest is going to be your weapon of warfare, not of rest you will wear the enemy out. So, Adam, he puts Adam asleep, Adam to rest, and then God does something, and here's the Scripture verse. The Bible says, God brought Eve to Adam. So, all of you ladies say, wow. 
Oh, that was two of you. Let's try the rest of you. If you're not sure which gender, just all of you, you know. All of you ladies that are born, say, wow. Okay, so here we have. The Bible says God brought Eve to Adam, meaning who did she see before she saw Adam? She saw the face of her loving father. Papa, daddy's little girl. Which voice did she hear? She heard the voice of a loving father. Which feeling did she have? She experienced in the perfect love of the father. There was no fear. Sin has not come in yet. Shame has not come in yet. Guilt has not come in yet. Daddy's little girl is totally secure in the father's love. She is seeing his face, hearing his love, feeling his love, experiencing his presence. And she is abiding in the father's pleasure. And then God brought Eve to Adam. And then he blessed them. He blessed them. And they were made in his image to man and woman. He created us. So in the face of God, there's the image both of the man and woman. And anyway, there is religion. They're trying to devalue both the face and the voice of the women. And part of the reason is because the enemy is so nervous about daddy's little girl. So if you start to see where the serpent has bitten you is where you have the greatest authority. Can I say that again? If you can recognize where the serpent has bitten you, that's actually where you have the greatest authority. So he's trying to kill the baby boys. Why? Because Moses the deliverer is coming. He's trying to kill the baby boys. Why? Because Jesus the Savior is coming. So if you can see the pattern of the enemy, why is he going after family? Because the next move of God's Spirit is a family move. The next revival is a family revival. Why is he trying to go after a generation? Because this is a generational move. Why is the enemy trying to steal the identity of the next generation? Because God is restoring the identity of the sons and daughters of glory. What about abortion? He's trying to stop a whole new generation that is the generation that is carrying the very thing that's going to usher in the second coming of Jesus. The enemy is nervous about what God is doing. But we believers cannot become so overwhelmed and recognize that. It's time for us to get in on what God is doing. Are you guys okay? I want to just capture a couple of things here because before this creation, and we're going to get into what happened with sin came in, and we understand what's happening in the world today. But in this pattern that you're seeing, there was another person in heaven before creation. His name was Lucifer. Some people says he was an archangel. He was a worship leader. You can read Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 37. But in the book of Revelation, it talks about this dragon that was thrown out of heaven. So here's a picture of Lucifer. This is a perfect place with a perfect God in a perfect love, in a perfect environment. How is it that Lucifer actually fell? Have you wondered about that? How could he not experience in the same love, in the same environment? How did one-third of the fallen angels fall and rebel against God? And I tell you the biggest key to that, and you can read it so clearly, especially in Isaiah 14, it is that Lucifer was the first orphan with an orphan heart. And with an orphan spirit. How is this connected? Because Lucifer, I want to be like the Most High. Why are you God and I'm just a worship leader? Read it in Isaiah 14. This I, 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 I. Is God really good? And am I really good enough? Am I really loved? If I become like you, then I'm going to feel better about myself. This is what led to the fall of one-third of the fallen angels. And eventually Lucifer went into the serpent and in the garden. Psst, 
Here you see the first liberal theologian. Did God really say? I start to question the word of God. That was Lucifer. Did God really say? Because there was two trees in the garden. Chair number one, the tree of life. And then there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from this tree, hey, how many here would like to be like Jesus? Just wave to me. And I, I know all of us want to be like Jesus. And pretty much what Lucifer comes in and says, hey, eeps, let me tell you something. If you eat from this, you're going to be like Papa. Don't you want to be like him? Yeah. <clears throat> do something. Because if you do something, you will have something. And if you have something, you will become something. Welcome to the orphan world, where the orphan spirit is in control. Because if I do, say if I do, then I have, then I become. And this was the very trick. That's how it started first in heaven. Now it is in the garden. And Eve ate from this, and we know in the next moment, she didn't eat from the tree of life. And often we're saying the horrific things that happened to Adam and Eve because of the fall. But what happened to the heart of the father when he saw his beloved son and daughter, not being able to see his face, not hearing his voice, not feeling his love. So when he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? It's not because God didn't know where he was at, but he suddenly realized Adam is not able to have intimacy. Adam has put fig leaves on. Fear, insecurity, guilt, loneliness, escapism, anxiety, failures. They are covering up before they were free, but now they're covering up. And there's a lot of people still covering up. There's enough electricity in this microphone to kill me, but I don't feel anything because of all the insulation. There's enough of Jesus in you to raise the dead, but often we have so much insulation. Fig leaves. There's a Christ in you that is the hope of glory around you. But I'm putting it as a bigger framework because it's connected to everything that is taking place among the 8 billion people in the world right now. This is just a picture so that we can capture what you fit into God's big story. And you will wake up in the morning knowing who you are, say identity. Knowing where you are, say intimacy. Knowing what you have, say inheritance. And knowing what you are called to do, say destiny. Say identity. And out of identity, there is intimacy. And I know there's people that run up to the altar and events and conferences, and they want intimacy with Him without covenant. And they have forgotten their wedding band. You're married to Him. You're one with Him. And intimacy is connected to covenant. It is not about convenient relationship, but covenant relationship. And everything flows from covenant. And it is a frustrating thing to try to become intimate and having prophecy over your life, having all these dreams and vision and everything else, and not being able to have the access. And then they're living towards inheritance instead of from inheritance. And then they're asking God to bless what they are doing instead of doing what God is blessing. And don't realize that self is just in the center. So anyway, so we're putting this into perspective, and now when sin came in, and we could just trace this, but when God says, Adam, Adam, where are you? This is when God starts His first mission plan, and He wants His family back. And let me just take you then on a journey a little bit closer in, and we know eventually that, and if we had a time, I'd take you to all the different books, Genesis, Exodus, and you can just see the Father heart of God through it all, and you can see the mercy, and you can see the grace. And eventually, the end of the Old Testament ends with a curse, but he says, before the judgment of the Lord, I'm sending you a spirit of Elijah. I'm turning the Father's hearts towards the children. Children's hearts towards the fathers or mothers is going to stop the curse that is in the land. 
unless I smite the earth with a curse. Before Jesus is going to come back, He's going to restore family. And that's what's going to take place. And that's also the key to stop the curse in the land. Because the world with 8 billion people has become a worldwide orphanage. Why God wants a family. And you can have churches, and you can have discipleship, you can have multiplication, you can have intercessory prayer. You can do all of that as orphans that doesn't have a relationship with the Father because they don't know who they are. And they don't know whose they are. And this is part of my assignment, my message when I was actually going to show a different video about when I'm meeting with some of the Taliban recently, but also with a lot of the top different Muslim leaders. But when I'm coming in there and just genuinely coming in with a fresh baptism of love, and you're looking at those different people with the eyes of love, just do not just see people the way they are, but how they're going to be. And we genuinely start to love these people. And it used to be they were enemies, but not any longer. God has changed my worldview. But one verse I wanted to highlight today, and then, then I'm putting these chairs, and then we're going to start to land it. It's just a quick framework, and I have this nice screen out there. If you want to go on a 12-week journey, you, don't, you can do it on your own. But it's about 12 sessions, some coaching, and I have people like Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, Heidi, but to help you with this big framework. But we are looking for ambassadors of love. And God is calling ambassadors of love that can represent the king and make earth look a little bit more like heaven. But we do have to understand the language of the king. We have to understand the culture of the kingdom. We have to understand what we are representing because heaven is actually my home. I have a Norwegian passport and I live here in America, but I'm just visiting here. I have a home and that's heaven is my home. And at the moment when Jesus came in, the eternal the eternal became my internal. So that's why people say, we're going to kill you, and there's no problem. Because eternity doesn't start when I die. It started when Jesus died and I received Him. So when the eternal becomes our internal, then we can do something with the external because you become free. But while we are here on planet Earth, we're not just visitors. We're not just an exile. You're not just an alien here on the planet Earth. Actually, you have an assignment to be a love ambassador, an ambassador that is going to represent God before people and people before God. That ministry of reconciliation that is not holding the sins against people. And that's why it is a love ambassadors that we're heading there and so anyway, in John 14, 18, when Jesus says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. What is that cry? John 14, 18. And it takes him all the way because all Jesus said is what he heard the Father say. He could hear the Father. I don't want my church or my people. I don't want them to operate as orphans any longer. I'm coming to them. I believe the beautiful part of the cross. And I want you to say it with me. Say, Jesus became sin." with my sinfulness, so I could become righteous with His righteousness. Jesus took my shame, so I am glorified. Jesus took my sickness and disease, so by His stripes I am healed. Jesus took my bondage, so I could receive His freedom. And I could go on and on of these divine exchanges that took place on the cross. But I believe that part of what literally killed Jesus, he always calls him Father, Father, Father. Until this moment, he says, Ali, Ali, 
Eli, lama, sabbat, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a moment, Jesus was separated from perfect love so we can be restored back again to perfect love. For a moment, Jesus became an orphan so we can become sons and daughters. He didn't say, Father, Father. He said, my God, my God. The only times he didn't refer to him as Papa, as Father. And then after he went to the cross to restore us back again to the original intention of our God had for every one of us as sons and daughters of glory. Are you guys okay? So let's do the three cheers in about 10 minutes, but I want you just the little thing on the lighthouses of love, then we have a framework. This is chair number one. Which chair is this? And you need to speak loud enough. Think about all the ones that didn't come because of the snow. So I can hear their voices too. Say, chair number one. Chair number two. Chair number three. So everyone in the world will live from one of these three perspectives. Chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. The people that are living in chair number one, Matthew 6, 33, they are seeking first. Say seeking first. His kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things are being added unto them. The Bible says, yeah, that's good. We like those added things. Pretty much what it says in Matthew 6, 33, if you prioritize by seeking first the king and his way, his life, his righteousness, not your righteousness, but his righteousness, if those two are the top of your priority, all the other things on your priority list is going to be met. The problem we have other things comes on our priority list, and we start to seek for something else. And then instead of things being added, they're being subtracted from you. The Bible says, repent because the kingdom is at hand. A lot of people, like especially chair number two gospel, we're focusing on what we be repented from, but not what we be repented to. He says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. You have access, it's close enough for you to grab hold of the kingdom, which is the rule and the reign of Jesus in every area of life. Be careful, this kind of a thinking can lead to dancing. And you can become joyful Christian. And you can become thermostats that actually changes environments. Not just checking the temperature, but thermostats. The Bible says, again, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Say, see the kingdom. Part of the born again experience is so that we can now actually see the into the invisible, so we can do the impossible. The purpose there is so you can see the kingdom. You can see the rule and the reign of Jesus. Him seated on the throne, ruling and reigning. Him seated on the right hand of the Father. But also you seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2.6. Are you okay? Chair number two. So chair number one is the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. Chair number two is the kingdom of self. Say kingdom of self. And the people living in chair number two, it's about me. There is none like me. Chair number two is all about me. And I'm coming to my wife because she didn't meet my needs. So we're getting offended. It's about me. Give me, touch me, bless me, fill me. Me, 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 me. I didn't like that song. Well, the song was not for you. It was for him. So we've created all those different people. And even the gospel in chair number two has often been the gospel of what Jesus is going to do for you. And if he doesn't, we get disappointed. And we're going to deconstruct and say Jesus didn't work because you said that if I just pray your prayer, you're going to get all those different benefits. And when I didn't get the benefits, I get disappointed, so I go back to the wall. 
let's just be honest. I think this is what a little of the lion in me just wants to roar, but I do feel I, I want Chernobyl too to be an unreached people group. I, I, I want to be very scarce, but 93% of the believers live in chair two. And that's why the world is what it is in chair three. The people in Chernobyl 2, it's what Paul called carnal Christian, fleshly Christians. The people in Chernobyl 2, they're upright in the soul. Their emotion, say emotion, will, mind, personality. And, and it is about me. And Chernobyl 3 is about the kingdom of the world. Say kingdom of the world. And the majority of the world's population are living in Chernobyl 3. If you are in Chernobyl 1, you are saved. Say the word saved. Chain number two, you are saved. Say the word saved. Chain number three, you are lost. Say lost. And I know some of you will argue with me if chain number two can be saved. And I had a Assembly of God pastor that told me after hearing my teaching, he said, I don't believe the person in chain number two can be saved. And I said, that's okay. In my sermon, they are saved. In yours, they can be lost. And he said, are you saying I cannot lose my salvation? I said, no, you can lose whatever you want to. I just know that nothing can separate me from my Father's love. I just know who I am and whose I am. So, but, but the whole argument here, now it's what Paul called carnal Christian. The good news for Chernobyl 2 believers is if you were to die, you will get to heaven. The bad news is you don't know how to get heaven to you. And then the kingdom of the world. So the majority of the Muslims will be here, and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists. But the biggest reason I believe that we have atheism in the world is because of unbelieving believers. The biggest hindrance for this world experiencing a God that looks like Jesus is Chernobyl 2. We do not have a darkness problem in the world in Chernobyl 2. We have a lack of light. We don't have a darkness problem in America, but lack of light. Light is always greater than darkness. We do not actually have a fear problems, but lack of love, because perfect love always casts out fear. And then just a few more minutes, and I'm going to land. This is a 12-hour thing, but I'm just going to be... I just wanted to see the framework. So I'm going into the essence, what the invitation for every one of you to be a Chernobyl 1 believer. And if you're married, to have a chair number one marriage. And if you're dating somebody, you do not date a chair two, and you're in chair one because you're still unequally yoked. Because you will be all about Jesus, and they're going to be about Himself. And they're going to value you for what you're going to do for them. And if not, in the orphan world, they always have a black hole in their soul. And they're looking for something to fill it. And it is either rebellion or religion. So chair number one, and I know you know this because I've done this before, but it's the root system and the foundation is love, Ephesians 3, 17. You are rooted and grounded in love. You are rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. So you know how high and deep and wide and long is Papa God love for you? Because you are rooted and grounded in love. The root system and the foundation is His love. So if I drill into your life, if I squeeze you, what's in you is going to be love. And then out of that, there's going to be joy and peace and pain. That's come. If I know you're in Chernobyl, when I bump into you in traffic, I know love, joy, peace. Because the abiding, 
this beautiful lifestyle. This is called the hard work of rest. So in chair number one, say identity, intimacy, inheritance, then destiny. Say, I am, I have, I do. So the doing comes, say, be with Jesus. Say, be with Jesus. Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. But you see, it didn't start, well, let's train people to do what Jesus did. No, it is first learning to be with Him, and the one that you're with is the one you become like. The one you're beholding is the one you're becoming. And the one you become is now the one that you release. And then out of that identity, out of that intimacy, out of everything that He paid for, that's where humility comes in, and you step into His ability. It's called grace. Chernobyl 1 is all about, it's a grace lamb. Just ask Elvis Presley. That's Norwegian humor. But chair number one is grace-based. That's why humility taps into God's ability. The chair number one lifestyle is without Him, I can do nothing. Chair number two thinks, hey, listen, this is like a Babel church. And there's a lot of chair number two churches, Babel, where we are going to build something great. We're going to do from earth towards heaven, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We are the biggest church in the city. How many do you have? And the Babel church is how much we orphans can build and get close to God. Because if you do, you have, you become. What chair number one church is, Bethel. There's an open heaven, and then there's the house of God, a family hosting that. And then they're taking that, and they make it hard for people to go to hell and easy for people to go to heaven because they get to the experiencing a God just like Jesus. He loves you just the way you are, but He refuses for you to stay that way because He wants you to be just like Jesus. A couple of more small things here. In chapter number 2, if you touch the lepers, you become unclean. If you're in chapter number 1, if you touch the lepers, they become clean. If you're on chair number two, there's these giants in the land, and you're seeing how big the problems are, and you're being overwhelmed what's happening there, and this world is influencing you. Well, if you're in chair number one, you're being so overwhelmed by him that nothing else can overwhelm you because you're seeing his face in the middle of it. And the one you're beholding is the one you're becoming. And these people that are looking for the face of God, including the Esau, the terrorist that is coming, that when you have actually already seen Esau, you have seen the face of God. And there's no longer us against them. And I believe the biggest hindrance we had in the last few years was to see so much of life coming from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Chair number two. And then we choose which one is good and which one is evil. Instead of coming from the tree of life. And our calling is not, well, are you for Alabama or Auburn? I learned that when I lived in Alabama. Meaning you have two options. No, don't you have another option? Are you for mask or against mask? Are you for vaccine or against? I mean, all of these things was kind of these chair two issues instead of coming home to chair number one and seeing things from heaven's perspective. To be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. See the invisible so we can do the impossible. Not talking about how big the giant is, but talking how big God is. I'm not saying there's not a Goliath there. I face Goliath on a daily basis. But for me to be able to see how little Goliath is compared to this God that is my Papa, and He is a loving Father. But that's what has to overwhelm me. When I'm in chair number one, I am prophetic. Say prophetic. 
Chair number two, I am pathetic. Say pathetic. When I'm in chair number one, I'm anointed. Say anointed. When I'm in chair number two, I'm annoying. Say annoying. And I shared some of this at Bridge, but this is just a little simplicity. But I want us just to see the framework. And here, let me just talk a little bit about this wall for a few moments. Among all those people, there's about 3.4 billion people in chair number three that have little or no access to the gospel. The majority of the world's population are here, but almost half of the world population. Did you know that 87% of Muslims don't know a Christian? 87% of the Muslims don't know a Christian. They have not met the believer. They have not met somebody who can represent Jesus. I remember Mahatma Gandhi. He said, if somebody can just show me chair number one, Jesus, I will become a Christian. That's the father of India. He's saying, the world right now here, creation is moaning and groaning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters to be revealed. Where are the sons? Where are the daughters? Where are the sons and daughters of glory? Chair number one is always about glory management. Chair number two is always about sin management. And if you're going to go from glory to glory, the starting point has to be glory. I know I'm going a little bit long here, but is this okay? Can I start to... Are you guys okay? I'm just taking a few things, but I'm heading in to be sharing a couple of stories lately where one of my favorite stories, one that Pastor Mike and I know, I ended up in chair number two, and often here is the weapon of the enemy. Say it with me, say fatigue. So let me just be a coach, a papa coach right now and say, what are some of your gainers and drainers in this season? What drains your energy? Because what the enemy is doing right now is trying to wear out the Christian. That's, that's one of the biggest strategic. I want you to know the biggest, the biggest way I know when I'm in chair number two is two things. Restless, say restless, and lack of peace. That's my two biggest thing. In chair two, it is fear, say fear, and then shame, say shame, and guilt. Did you know all the root issues in all the nations right now, including Islam is a shame, honor and shame society, but the Jewish has guilt, but every nation, the root issue is fear, shame, and guilt. That's the root issue of all. America has a guilt-based but it's fear, shame, and guilt that all the systems is built around. And to put it another way, if we can get rid of fear, shame, and guilt here, and come home, then we have an opportunity to go and disciple nations there. But as long as we are struggling with, I'm <gasps> looking in the mirror, I see shame. And shame will always tell you who you are not. Papa God would always tell you who you are. So when I'm in chapter number two, shame speaks to me. And then the enemy blackmails us. The biggest reason we're not evangelizing. I can motivate you to evangelize. They are perishing. 45,000 people died today. They enter eternity and they live their entire life and they never once got to hear about Jesus. More people are dying without Jesus, but they never had a chance. And I could continue, but as long as the enemy just get us into chair two, that's not our biggest concern. Because in the next moment, if we have these three giants on the inside called fear, shame, and guilt. Looking at the past, there's guilt. So the enemy is blackmailing us, so we don't have a voice to be able to speak to this. He knows about the secret, and he whispers, and the enemy will tell you who you are not. 
instead of for you to come home. And the biggest thing that the enemy is also doing is saying, when you have sin in your life and there's issue in your life, Papa God, He is a holy God. And don't misunderstand me. I believe in His holiness. But for many years I thought, because of His holiness, He couldn't handle my sin. And because of that is I, because I had a view of God that didn't look like Jesus. But I realized what's happening with me is when I'm in chair two and sin came into my life, is that what has happened to me is I'm the one that has turned away from him. He didn't turn away from me. And repentance as a lifestyle, when I recognize that I don't want to do anything to separate me from my father's love. Then I start a lifestyle of repentance and tuning in in a moment. And this is where maturity comes in. Maybe for a moment you have the dove. Say dove. But the next moment you have pigeon. Say pigeon. And pigeon religion is not the same when the dove is there. So when you're in chair number one, you're hearing his voice. And there's this connection with him. And you're seeing his face. And in the next moment, what happened is say spirit, soul, body, life. So river flows out of you. But then you get into channel number two. It's not that God doesn't speak, but it has to filter its way through, say, soul, spirit, body, dead sea. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't speak, but it has to filter its way through your emotion, will, mind, and personality to touch your spirit. So when you are in channel number two, it can be the devil. It can be just yourself, your flesh, and it could be God. There's three voices primary, and you don't know which one is what. And you have division inside, and you have this wrestling match of war on the inside because you don't hear the Father's voice. So when I feel restless, because I know all the demonic realm is restless because Lucifer doesn't have a home. He's an orphan. And his whole strategy is get us in here even to do intercession from here. Or what's going on now in the Middle East. And we're coming from this place and we're praying from this place that is often anger and fear-based. And, and then we try to roar without the Lamb's heart. The first thing that we do is beholding the Lamb. We're getting right back. We repent. I get back again to where I belong. This is not who I am. Jesus, you took my shame. I'm not going to live in shame. I'm going to walk in the light as He is light so we can have fellowship with one another. I'm not going to hide in darkness. We get accountability. We're coming in together and says, so I have people in my life asking me good questions. I said, Leif, are you in Chernobyl too right now? What are some of the buttons that are not the Jesus button? Are you okay? So say fatigue. Then the enemy pushes the button of fear. So he waits your emotional tank is down to E. Then he pushes that button and you go in chair number two. And when you are in chair number two, you don't see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you are. You don't have a proper perspective. You no longer have a 20-20 vision. And deception is very deceiving. And at this moment, there's two things that will take place. Either you're going to start to lean towards sin issue or the second thing. So the enemy then will not because there's pain in your life and you're looking for something to medicate. So if you don't deal with a root issue, then if it is pornography or medicine or alcohol, I'm not against medicine in a healthy way, but I'm saying you start to medicate those areas that is not comfortable with love because those areas are not comfortable with God. And you have a black hole in your soul that starts to suck life. And then you start the whole escapism. Or oh, there's religion. I just starts to do more, to have more, to become more. Instead of coming into the resting place to receive, save, receive. So I can become. So I can release. Can you see the difference? Because it has to come from Him to go through Him, to back 
to him, so he is left with a glory. I think it is Romans 11, 35 or 36. So anyway, let me kind of now put and land this with, uh, we were in Cuba just recently. Let, let me give a little bit of the background before. About 18 years ago, I received a clarity of we're going to start these lighthouses of love, which would be more like missional communities, or some people could call it house churches or cell group. There's different ways of describing it, but I just felt this word. So I went in in chair number one, got a blueprint of, Father, what do you want to do? And make the story short, in 18 months, we had planted over, I think it's 1,780 of those all over the world. It was just amazing explosion. They multiply people getting saved, healed, delivered. But it didn't take long time before they started to move into a chair two, where suddenly now you need an organizational structure, which is important. But what happens, orphans are coming in that is going to lead, and then they're no longer coming from a place of love. And when there's unhealed area in people's life, they're getting a value in what they do instead of who they are. And they were climbing up who is going to be the district leader and who is going to be this and that. And suddenly the dove left and we were no longer burning oil. We were burning flesh. And it started to smell a little bit more like flesh. And so, so, so the world around now was not being so much affected. They were being affected by the world. And we constantly had to start to deal with issues from this world because it started to move into chair two. Like the church in Ephesus, they started in chair one. And wow, they were just passionate in love. In Revelation. They still did all these works, but they have left the first love. What was the first love? It was receiving the love, because you love Him because He first loved you. You had stopped receiving the love. You suddenly now moved into a place where you're again backing all the works and the doing, and you left what was all about, and that was that intimacy. That was just loving Him for loving Him. No agenda. The best thing about Jesus is Jesus. I know that's big. Not what He's going to do for us. Simply being with Him for being with Him because the one you're with is the one you become like and the one you become like is the one we're going to manifest that we're going to release. Anyway, I'm getting in. So here we have these lighthouses of love and it was so hard for me because I felt the Lord just says, I want you just to lay it down. But this was like a success story. People would talk about all the lighthouses of love, all people being saved, healed, and God said, I just want you to lay it down. And I'm like, why? Because you birthed an Ishmael. You helped me. And I'm like, help you. And I realized it took a little while, and I just laid it down. And all these years went by, and I was disappointed because... It was just that system I just know. It's not that these people are not, many of them are in churches and different groups. It's not. But that system had to be laid on because God wanted to do something new. And when God wanted to do something new, it's something that hadn't been done before. And I was trying to put a paradigm on something that doesn't exist. Make the story short, last year I was with Bill Johnson, no, excuse me, with Randy and Heidi in Brazil. And in a moment on the floor, I felt the Holy Spirit said, I want you to... I want you to raise up the lighthouses of love. And I'm like, I've already finished with that. And he started to speak to me again. And finally, I just surrendered to it. I said, okay, I don't know how to do this. And he says, good, now we can begin. So we started. So I came to Cuba to one of our leadership. And I just told him, do you remember in Cuba, we used to have these lighthouses of love. And Yazir and Aki, who has been there, they said, yeah, Papa, we, we remember that. And I said, do you remember we had to lay it down? And they said, yeah, it was hard. And he said, God wants to do it again. And he said, what does it look like this time? And I described a little bit more chair number one. 
That's why I started with this model in heaven. The model that was between the Father, Son, and Spirit. That was a DNA-based. It was based upon the very DNA, and out of all of that, the life was flowing. So I was just describing it to them, and then we came back. And by the way, now in one year, 184 lighthouses are loving Cuba. Communist Cuba. But we, I just walked into those lighthouses. I took a team about two, two months ago there. We walked in there, and I saw something that was so beautiful. I saw in these homes that suddenly neighbor, these rough, dark neighborhoods was being changed by these lighthouses of love that was being planted. And then I heard a story. There is this witch that is now the top worshiper. The top worship leader that we have, she was a witch. And uh, the top evangelist we have in Cuba was a witch. The, the leader of 18 of these lighthouses of love was a witch. But then I heard a story. I mean, two weeks ago, I was a witch and into witchcraft and now, and you saw them glowing. But it was transformation. It was a culture that had changed their culture from inside out. They came in there, and I realized that these worlds are coming in, but they're coming into a family environment where suddenly cancer is disappearing without anybody praying. I believe in praying and declaring, but it was like an environment of Eden that was planted in homes. And the way husbands and wife was loving one another, and the kids was there. And the kids now in the junior high in the communist school started Lighthouse of Love in the junior high. We have it in parks. We have it in communist offices. So they just started. So they just heard a little bit of what I'm sharing with you. They just tapped into it. And we hadn't even the time to organize it. So I brought Paul Yado and a team. And we went to all these Lighthouses of Love and studying it. And I just started to weep because I realized that what God is doing something new. And and I feel I'm saying that because there's a resurrection of dreams taking place. Some of you have had dreams and didn't happen, and it seems like there was a funeral, but I believe that God wants to resurrect the dreams. And where hope deferred had made your heart sick, in this season you're going to start to desire again and dream again, it is the tree of life. And I'm seeing what the shaking now in chair two that is taking place, shaking in chair three is taking place, is to bring us into this place that is unshakable. And in every neighborhood, there's going to be a lighthouse of love. When people don't know what to do, they know where to go. And this crisis that has hit Cuba this last year has been horrific, the worst in 30 years. But in the middle of it, every one of those crises gives an opportunity because when people don't know what to do, oh, there is a lighthouse of love. In every neighborhood, in the school system, it just starts to spread around. And I'm seeing people that two weeks before, this person was a drug addict. And one of, one of my favorite stories that came out of that so when I heard the testimony, this one lady, she had murdered her husband. He was very abusive. Spent 22 years in prison. She was paralyzed because of a stroke. One of the lighthouse people that just came out, one ordinary son and daughter, came right out and prayed. She got totally healed from the stroke. Got totally, I mean, and she got saved. And now she is leading a lighthouse. But what I saw is like, how long have you been a born-again Christian? I would think maybe four years. Have you been Bible called? Oh, no, I've been four weeks. Well, what about you? And I saw fruit in people's life, an acceleration of fruit. I'm not saying we people are not going through processes, but I think in a proper environment where there's a culture that can change culture that is totally honor-based, love-based, freedom-based, accountability-based, and I love the way they take care of one another. If one struggle or pornography or whatever is taking place, this is a safe place for people to be, to be set free. The family, the immune system in the family is loving well. I'm putting that into perspective, and the, the Great Commission 
go. He says, go, go. And go, what does it say? First, he says, all authority has been given. So first, how much authority does the devil have? If Jesus has all authority. So now you go and you disciple nations. Say nations. And cities. So what we are doing is we are certainly now discipling nations. Part of that, Mark is discipling people. And it is, of course, discipling people. But as we are discipling nations, we baptize them. Say baptize them. We immerse them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We immerse them into family. I don't know if you... So yes, there's a baptism of water, baptism of the Spirit, and baptism in the Father's love. Jesus said all three, Matthew 3, 17. But we are immersing them into a healthy family. So they're getting this culture, and then you start teaching them all things. Pursue love and then earnestly seeking spiritual gifts. We say going after the gifts without first pursuing love. And then out of that very thing, then, then now I'm going to be with you all. And now you can teach them to be free. We can teach them, and you're multiplying. But it is that culture that is changing culture. And I felt, now I'm landing this by saying simply, my heart and my desire is for everyone in this world experiencing a God just like Jesus. We can no longer afford to hold on. If there's things in your life you're holding on to and share to, it's time for you to let go of it. The place of surrender is a place of exchange. And I know there's some of you, you're wrestling with what's happening in your life, about the future, about your business or anything else. This is the time to just surrender. Wrestle with God and win. And let Him touch the strongest part on you or could be in your marriage or anything, but let Him touch that part of you. And you maybe walk with a limp. Humility. And the way you maybe walk, but when you're then going and facing some of the giants that you're facing, you're going to come from this place of humility, and suddenly it's going to be this reconciliation. It's going to happen in homes. It's going to happen in businesses. It's going to happen, and I've seen now if it is the, my Democrat friends, my Shia Muslim, and I can tell you story after story, and the people that know me knows this, including the one that tried to kill me for five years. He's one of my best friends today. But it has started with me not seeing him as one of my enemies. It's like what Jake Hamilton says, I don't have any enemies. I love my enemies or the one that's supposed to be, but I'm coming out from a place of chair number one. Is there anyone here that has ever visited chair number two? Anyone, there's a moment you have not hear, heard his voice clearly. Anyone ever feel restless? Lack of peace? Could we maybe just ask her to rock? Because I do believe individual, but also marriages, family in chair number one, then lighthouses of love in chair number one, where we then start to host this presence. Wow. And then eventually starting to allowing people, when they don't know what to do, they know exactly where to go. Factories, communist factories, and boom, there's a light. A small group of people coming together, and Jesus is in the middle of it. Changes the environment. And people have an encounter with a God that looks like Jesus. I'm just longing in this season. I've said yes, and 34 million women and girls behind the veil. Two years ago, I decided to go in and do something in Afghanistan. And but just putting myself in that offering plate. Without you, I can't do nothing. That's how you tap into God's ability. I also feel that he, what he wants us to do is to start to dream again because hope deferred has made your heart sick. 
So if we can just uh, stand up for a moment. and I know I'm uh, overwhelming you. Are you guys okay? Did you get anything? It's just a little simple framework. I do believe for the Rock family. I've been so heartbroken over a lot of the messes taking place. Not just in the world, but in our world that's supposed to be family. And I know that the Father wants His family back. And He says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as an orphan. I don't want you to be in Chernobyl too any longer. Can we be honest here with family? I know there's few people here. Anyone struggle with fear, shame, or guilt? Just, I think we all to some degree now and then it comes in. But it seems like the enemy goes in there and gets you into this chair and you start to get overwhelmed again. And, and you can't hear his voice. And then you thought, Papa God had turned away from you. And no, he's actually turning towards you. And here's the verse. And we're landing with this. Jesus says, come to me, all of you, all of you. You are weary and heavy laden. Anyone in Chernobyl too? This is not condemnation. It is an invitation. If you are in chair two, the first thing you're going to do is knowing. And this is what I'm hoping if I could mark you or tattoo this on you. At the moment you're in chair two and you no longer are experiencing his presence and his peace. At that moment, you know the safest places that Jesus says, now come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My burden is easy, not yours. Yours is heavy. Yours is difficult. Yours is overwhelming. But he says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He says, learn from me because I am low and meek or humble in heart. And I will give you rest for your soul. No longer wrestling match on the inside and the turmoil going on the inside. There's that peace that rests for my soul. So I can rest and receive. And all I do is what I see my father do. I say what I hear my father say. Becoming a resting place where the dove can find resting place. And he can speak to you. He can love on you in a way you've never been loved on before. And be so overwhelmed by him that nothing else can overwhelm you. I feel like if this is you, you sense that this is, I just feel it's a holy invitation. That there's a move of God's spirit coming out of here. And what we are seeing is bringing 400 churches to become chair number one churches. And they have to lay down the chair too. Because he says, I will build my church. The lighthouses of love, the difference between what we used to do before, we were trying to build church. Well, Jesus said, no, I will build my church. And when I build it, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we extend and express that we are a family, not an orphanage. So if you're sensing, I just want a fresh baptism of love. I just want us to come up front and allow in the liquid love of Papa. This is just between you and your family, but just come home. And what it does is we're not going to go after fear or shame or guilt because when love moves in, guess what moves out? Fear, shame, and guilt. But this is just a place of surrender. And I just, some of you, I'm just going to come down and gently just minister, but can we get rid of chair two? And I just wanted to honor Marcus here, and he's going to just love on you, but it's time to be free. It's time to come home. 
including seeing everything from the eyes of love. I have a feeling I'm going to impart to some of you a gift. I cannot give you anything, but the Father wants you to open your eyes to see into the unloved realms. There's a lot of people that are seeing into the invisible realm and into the spirit realm. But for you to see into the unloved realms where things is broken and be able to see what he sees. And whoa, coming with a ministry of reconciliation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif Hetland on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com. Thank you.